I thought appropriate, an appropriate topic that we should talk about today is uh, discipleship, on discipleship. And um, I'm actually piggy, pigging, piggybacking off of my uh, youth group lessons that I've been teaching for the last few weeks on marks of a healthy church. And so um, I actually have several marks that I, you can see up here. Um, but I thought discipleship would be important to cover in our, my sermon today for particularly, uh, I could name four main reasons. Um, number one is last year, New Hope celebrated their 25th, uh, 25th anniversary. And I think by God's grace, with a strong sense of these marks of a healthy church, um, we should prepare the, this church to exist for another 25 years. So that's uh, reason number one, longevity. Number two is for church planting. A healthy church ultimately helps plant other healthy churches. And I think covering this mark will help us to see how in our church planting culture, for those of you who are going to go church plant, um, this is an important mark for your church to uh, not only survive but thrive in all seasons. Um, The third reason I would say is to have a sense of the biblical gospel. And so uh, rather centering our church around a social program, a political party, or um, false prosperity gospel, uh, a healthy church equips men and women to share and teach the biblical gospel, and moreover, people who are ready to uh, suffer for the sake of the gospel. And my last reason I want to give this sermon is because of spiritual growth. Um, a healthy church provides the, commu- uh, the community with opportunities for discipleship in a community that encourages personal and corporate development. And so I think knowing these marks of a healthy church help us to hear and harmonize uh, with how the Bible paints a healthy church. And, um, you know, I use, that, I use that phrase, hear and harmonize, for um, a very particular reason. Um, now, most of you, um, you know, most of you don't think I'm musically talented, but I'll have you know that I used to play the violin for two years. Um, and so between my fifth and sixth grade year, I played the violin. It was a very short career, and, um, but one of the most vivid memories I have uh, growing up playing the violin was coming to violin practice, and as soon as I would begin playing my violin, my violin teacher would know if my instrument was out of tune or in tune. And I thought it was remarkable that he didn't need something else just to tell if my instrument was off tune. And I think in a very similar way, um, I think with a strong sense of these, these marks of a healthy church, we can start to actually hear for ourselves what a healthy church is. And so, so yes, so on discipleship. I want to speak about on discipleship. So here's my main point for today. A healthy church is one that is characterized by a serious concern for discipleship. It's a very simple point. A healthy church is one that is characterized by a serious concern for discipleship. And so I'm going to break down... What is discipleship and why is it important? How does discipleship help us grow? And how do we disciple others? And I pray that this sermon helps you, it helps me understand the importance of discipleship, 
but it also leaves us inspired to disciple others. And so let me pray and ask for God's help before I um, continue to speak. Lord God, thank you for your Holy Spirit that dwells within us. Help us now to believe that through Christ we have a comforter. Help us to know that we have the Spirit who guides us to all truth. And Lord, I particularly ask the Holy Spirit to help me to um, have clarity of thought, concision of speech, and conviction of heart, to preach the whole truth uh, and nothing but the truth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So number one, what is discipleship? What does the Bible say discipleship is? And why is it important? So the fun fact is discipleship is not found in the Bible. The word discipleship is not found in the Bible. But the components of it are. And so to be a disciple, uh, discipleship can be broken down to being a disciple. Now, to be a disciple in a very basic definition, means to follow someone's teaching. Now, for most of us, following someone's teaching can mean a lot of different things. You can be a disciple of, for example, of, uh, I, you know, growing up, I used to play soccer, and so I, I would say I was a disciple of Ronaldinho. Um, you know, um, but to be a disciple of Christ means a little bit more. Um, actually, to be a disciple of Christ at its basic root and fundamental level means to be united to him by faith. That in the gospel, which says that all of our guilt of our sin has now been transferred to Jesus, and all of his righteousness that is his has now become ours. Um, Jesus would say this in John 10. He would say, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. Jesus would love the church and gave, and gave himself up for her. He paid a debt that he didn't owe, but that we owe, and then united, to, united us to himself as his holy people. Now, for, um, for anybody here who has never been in church, that sounds really odd. Like, why would Jesus lay down his life? But the Bible kind of put, puts us in a predicament, actually. It says that, um, Genesis 1 says that in the beginning, God, that there is a God, first of all, and that he exists, and that he, creates, he created us in his image. And rather than reflecting the, this glory back to him, we turned to ourselves and worshiped ourselves. This is Adam and Eve. Think, think about Adam and Eve taking of the fruit of the tree. We turned away from, from God. And because of this, we deserve his just judgment. As a good God and as a holy God, he has the right to punish us for our sin. But the gospel, the good news, however, is that Jesus lived the perfect life and died the death that we should have died. Jesus offered himself as a substitute and a sacrifice for everyone here who would repent and trust him. And so this is where I would say discipleship starts. It starts from not what we actually do, but understanding what Jesus has done for us. I, you know, that sounds elementary to some of us, but we have to start there. It starts from the gospel. You know, being a disciple of Christ is different from any other teacher because, you know, in Buddhism, you can, be a, you can actually be a Buddhist without trusting Buddha. You know, you can be a, a Marxist without trusting Marx, but you can't be a Christian without trusting Christ. He just 
is too central. And so this is where discipleship starts. It means trusting Jesus. But part of the branch of discipleship, and this is a subsection of discipleship, is actually discipling. And so discipleship, that's a noun. Discipling, that's a verb. Um, I would say that discipleship is our following of Jesus, but discipling is helping others follow Jesus. It's a very basic definition. Um, now, actually, Jesus makes this clear um, in one of the first words to his, his apostles or to the, his uh, disciples. He says this in Matthew 4.19. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus makes clear that if we are following him, he will make us fishers of men. In other words, if we're following Jesus, we will help others follow Jesus. Now, with our, uh, with our Christian friends, that means discipling them and helping them follow Jesus, to obey Jesus. But for our non-Christian friends, that means sharing the gospel with them. And so... Um, you know, when I talk about discipleship with um, several members of our church, I, I can hear some objections to it. And I think probably the number one objection that I hear about discipleship is, I don't know enough to disciple others. I don't know enough. I don't know the Bible enough. I don't know the gospel enough. I can't answer questions that they may have. And my encouragement to you is to know that you are not obligated to share what you don't know. But you are obligated to share what you do know. You know, with fellow church members, this means initiating spiritual conversations by asking intentional questions, sharing what you're learning, and praying for them. Um, You know, I'm often reminded of Sam and Courtney Green, who have a daughter named Elizabeth. And uh, Elizabeth, uh, she was... I think she was in fourth or fifth grade at this point, and you have to be in sixth grade in order to get into my youth group. You have to be in sixth grade. And I told Elizabeth, I'm sorry, you're too young. And so she decided to turn, actually, and invite a bunch of girls from the fourth and fifth grade level to start their own youth group. And she immediately started teaching them um, how to read the Bible. And I think that Elizabeth was in fourth and fifth grade. She, you know, She's in fourth and fifth grade. All she knew how to do was, well, she understood the gospel and she knew how to read. And I think that her example should set an example for all of us, especially the young kids in this room. Another objection I often hear is that um, discipleship is only for uh, the pastor or uh, the deacons or the, you know, the church leaders. And I'm not a leader. I'm not a preacher like you. And actually, Jesus, helping others follow Jesus is a command that Jesus gives all of his followers. It's not just one sect of his followers. It's all of his followers. Um, You know, I like to say that Christianity is a tier one religion in the sense that we believe in the priesthood of all believers, that as members of this church, we can actually um, counsel and love on one another and teach one another. You know, um, I know oftentimes it can seem like being in the, in the pulpit or being up here in front of a crowd, teaching is like the most important, important thing. But 
consider how many passages in the New Testament just talk about the one anothering. Uh, that's what I call it, the one anothering. I mean, how much of the ministry occurs in the family, in friendships, in conversations? You know, uh, being up here and preaching does matter, but don't neglect the impact that you can have. Um, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of uh, Larry Holcomb, who founded this church in, uh, it feels like the 1700s, but, you know, it's like 1990, um, but um, bear with me. I know there's a lot of old New, New Hopers here, but um, Larry Holcomb had a wife, uh, or has a wife named Linda, and Linda discipled this woman named Ada, and Ada, most of you do not know Ada, but most of you do know Brian Whitaker who we just sent as a church planner in United Trinity. Well, actually, if it was not for Linda pouring into Ada, that woman, that woman is the woman who actually invited and discipled Brian to come to New Hope. So without Ada, there is no Brian Whitaker, actually. See, discipleship is not just the role of a pastor or elder or deacon. It's actually for all of us. You know, um, I think the last objection that I often hear is that faith or religion should be a private thing. You know, I don't need to be sharing with others um, or teaching others how to follow Jesus. Plus, I'm too, too busy with my schedule to teach others how to do this. And my encouragement to you, or word of advice to you, is that Jesus particularly died not for individuals, but he died for a church. By adopting you, he's brought you into a family and in a family with brothers and sisters. And so I always say um, Christianity is personal, but it's never private. And, um, you know, to think about um, people who are across seas who get persecuted for sharing their faith. You know, we, we actually have the luxury of having freedom of religion in our, in our country. Oh, you know, we shouldn't shy away from these things. Now, I'm not telling you to act like a maniac at work, but there are subtle and um, wise ways to make friendships and share the gospel with your friends at work. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, um, I'm really grateful that I didn't keep my faith private uh, in the first two weeks of work because um, when, I, when I joined my, the first company I started working for when I graduated from St. John's, uh, I worked for an insurance brokerage firm, and I met this guy named Kenny who was in Manhattan for training, but he was based out of Houston. And I think I overheard him say that he was going to a Hillsong concert. And, um, you know, when I heard that, I said, dude, actually, there is a men's retreat, a New Hope men's retreat that you should come to. And I I would love for you to come to that versus uh, Hillsong. And he, he accepted. And ever since that day, actually, we started meeting on a on a regular basis, probably a weekly basis during lunch, and I, we would read a text, and he, he would have questions, and I would, I would have usually answers, but then I would have questions, and he would answer. And soon, actually, Kenny would, um, he joined a local church there, and I went to his wedding just last year, and this is, you know, this few years have passed by now, but his, at his wedding, I was astonished at how many people that Kenny had been pouring into, to the point when I got to the wedding, several men and women came up to me and were like, oh, you're Param. You know, um, 
your problem. You're, you're the one who you poured into Kenny, and I, you know, thank you for pouring into him because he poured into me because he, you know, and so on and so forth. So I say that, you know, not to boast in myself, but really to show you the impact that you can have in pouring your life into someone. And so, you know, that, that's what discipleship is. And the main reason why discipleship is important is because the Lord Jesus himself commands this in Matthew 28. Jesus says this in Matthew 28, that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of age. Jesus commanded not only his apostles to do this, but he's commanded all of us to do this. And that means everyone here who identifies as a Christian. And so my last word of encouragement before my next point is do not count yourself out. Don't count yourself out. I'm begging you. You matter. You matter. Spiritually, you really do matter to someone who who can come to know the Lord because of you. And he can use you if you're open and willing for him to use you in that way. And so um, I can give you countless examples from this church. Uh, I'm just going to re- run through maybe three more uh, or two more. You know, um, Lu- Lukia, uh, Lukia Kumar, who is a pastor at Jay's wife. Lukia Kumar discipled Jim Samuel. Okay, so most of you guys are like, what are these names? But Jim Samuel would become a pastor at Jackson Heights Community Church. He would not become a pastor if it was not for Lukia. Renee Christian and Ronnie Matthew discipled Zamir. And Zamir is now, he was a missionary in India, and now, uh, you know, he, I think, desires to be a pastor in Kansas, I believe. But I can go on and on with examples from our church of the impact that we have with outside of the pulpit of just the one anothering in our daily lives. And so this is what discipleship is, and this is why it's important. So let me go to number two. How does discipleship help us grow? How does it help us grow? It's important to realize that in the Bible, numerical growth is important, but not as important as spiritual growth and maturity. Discipleship helps us grow in this way. It helps us grow, number one, in our knowledge of God. In our knowledge of God. This is what Paul would say in Colossians. He says, For this reason, since the day we have heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Peter as well emphasizes the importance of the knowledge of God by finishing Second Peter with the exhortation to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And so, you know, you might be asking, why, why is it important to know God? Why is it important to have knowledge of who God is? And I'll say this, that in discipleship, 
oftentimes we come to understand not only who God is, but through that we, become, we, we have a better understanding of who we are, that we have an understanding of God's care and His character. We begin to understand why God is trustworthy and how God works in the big picture and how He works through seemingly very difficult circumstances. And this is why knowledge of God is the core of everyone's spiritual development. And so, actually, this is how one author puts it in his book, Deep Discipleship. J.T. English says this, Deep discipleship is more about reveling in the transcendence of God than it is about ministry practice. The source of true discipleship is not better programs, better preaching, or better community. All of those and more are hugely important tools, but the source of discipleship is, is God himself. Thus, at the heart of everything we do is to grow, to grow in our love and knowledge of God. You see, in, in our endeavor, in our journey of discipleship, guiding someone to see who God truly is becomes our most significant endeavor because when we, become, when we come to understand Him, we actually are equipped to face challenges, to discern truth from falsehood, and most importantly, we realize in the gospel that we're fully known. Yes, all of our sins are known before God, but we're fully loved in Christ. And, um, you know, this, this discipleship um, has profound I- impact. Um, you know, I, I, can, um, I can tell you that uh, as a person, I like to talk out loud a lot. I'm an extrovert. And so oftentimes my wife will catch me talking to myself a lot, and um, she actually can hear my thought pattern, and oftentimes she can catch something that I'm saying to myself that's actually a lie, and I'm so grateful that Brittany, um, you know, stops, stops me in my tracks and says, hold on, the thing you just said there, what did you just say? And, you know, um, and she'll stop me, and actually she'll remind me of, of, of truth and encourage me. Um, I can think about Sam, Samuel Rains, who's, I'm mentioning all these people, and they're not here today. <laughs> I'm like, half this church is empty. <laughs> um, Samuel Rains, you know, uh, when I was in college, was discipling me. And I remember uh, I had an atheist roommate at the time, and seeing Sam share the gospel with my roommate was discipling me. I mean, I, I remember one of the first things he he taught my roommate, he asked him, he said, you know, why do Christians want to help the poor? Why do you think? And, you know, my roommate said, well, because, you know, because God commands it. And Sam said, yeah, yes, God commands it. But even more, actually, we come to see in the gospel that Jesus has become poor for us. That in the gospel, Jesus, who is rich, you know, with God for all eternity past, stepped down and emptied himself and became poor and ultimately died on the cross. You know, that logic to me, to see that we love the poor because actually God became poor for us, that, that was foreign to me. I didn't understand that. And so in our journey of discipleship, um, Guiding someone to know who God truly is actually becomes our most significant endeavor. So th- that's number one. That's why discipleship, how discipleship helps us grow. But I would say number two, that it helps us to become more Christ-like. 
it helps us to become more Christ-like. So First Peter says this in I mean, Peter says this in First Peter two. He says, "Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us." And Jesus, uh, Peter is only echoing the words of Jesus from Matthew five. Actually, uh, Jesus says this in Matthew five. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So part of discipleship, yes, is growing in knowledge of God, but it's also growing in our own character and holiness. And the beautiful thing about discipleship is that it helps us to stay accountable to other people. It says that we're not as perfect as we may seem from the outside, and we need people from the outside outside of us, in our church, to speak into our lives on how we can become more like Christ. Second um, Peter, actually, Peter, again, in Second Peter, would um, say, say this uh, passage. And, uh, you know, let, let me read the ending first, and then I'll read the beginning. He says in verse 8, For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, what, what qualities should we possess? In verse 5 it says this, Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. Peter says that if we actually are increasing measure in all these things, we're becoming... Uh, we're, we're keeping ourselves from being ineffective and unproductive. And so discipleship helps us grow in this way, that it helps us to become more like Christ. So that's number two. How does discipleship help us grow? But number three, and this is where I get very practical, is how do we disciple others? How do we disciple others? Um, you're going to notice that this is going to get very tangible and a lot of application on, on this point. So I have seven, seven points here. I'm going to run through, through them pretty quickly. Number one, choose someone. Choose someone. Um, I, I, you know, that sounds ridiculous. That's like, you know, one of my friends asked me, how do you read the Bible? And I told them, um, well, you buy a Bible, you open the Bible, and you start reading it. <laughs> but in discipleship, it's very similar because you just, you have to choose someone. You have to be deliberate. Second um, Timothy, Paul says this to Timothy in Second Timothy 2.2, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I, I always like to point this out. There's four generations in that passage. What you have heard from me, that's Paul to Timothy, in the presence of many witnesses, that's two, and trust to faithful men, actually, to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. There's four generations. <laughs> so, 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. So, my encouragement to you is to be deliberate, to commit to how often you will meet with someone or a group of people and for how long. And, um, you know, I'm reminded that discipleship doesn't always need to be neat and tidy. It doesn't need to be a program, you know, um, it's not a multi-level marketing scheme. <laughs> Discipleship often happens organically, and that's, that's when we're actually growing the most. And so 
Um, you know, I use my, I use my time, uh, and I try to use my time intentionally, but uh, there's a guy who I go to the gym with on a consistent basis who does a good job of discipling me because he asks me good spiritual questions when I'm working out with him. And so not only am I getting a good pump, <laughs> but he's asking me some spiritual questions, and it's helping me grow. Number two is to pray for or pray with someone. Paul in Colossians 1, if you remember, he says, we have not ceased to pray for you. You know, he's discipling the church because he's showing the church what he's doing. He's actually saying, I am, we, have, we have not ceased to pray for you. I'm praying for you. And so my encouragement to you is, um, you know, Audrey, thank you for praying for me. As you're, you know, Audrey and David are my deacons, and Audrey and David pray for me on a consistent basis. And I know this because they text me about how they can pray for me. And so she disciples me. But for parents in here, maybe you, um, maybe you pray with your children before night. You know, what do you pray for? You know, I know that it's very easy to get into a, a, a routine of praying for immediate needs of acing the test, you know, being ready for next week or um, such things like this. But how often do you pray for them to grow in knowledge of God or to come to know the gospel more or to worship God more? And so um, if, you're, if you're here and you're in youth group or maybe you're younger, is one way you can disciple your parents is to be intentional about the things you ask for. You can ask your dad or mom to say, hey, I would like to grow in my boldness in sharing the gospel. And that is actually, you're discipling your parents by asking that because it's showing them what you value. Number three is to teach. To teach. Colossians 1.28, Paul says, Jesus is the one we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. And so in discipleship, we can study different Bible passages. We can read to discuss a book. Um, You know, I brought a good friend here to church today, and I give him a book. I give him a book because I know that that's one of the greatest ways that I grow to know God more is not only to read the Bible, but also to read a book about the Bible too. And so you can memorize passages of Scripture together and, uh, and other such things. You don't need a class. You can, you can just do this in regular conversation. Um, you know, if uh, you know me and you've maybe bumped into me downstairs or whatnot, sometimes I'll ask this question. I'll just say, hey, what, um, what book of the Bible are you reading? Or um, what passage has really stuck out to you lately? Or um, what kind of podcast are you listening to? Are you, are, you know, it, it, by the way, it's okay to listen to sermons from outside this church. <laughs> or who are you listening to lately? You know, all these things, all these questions that I ask are intentional because it helps others to follow Jesus. So number three is teach. Number four, model. Model. Second Timothy 3 says this to Paul speaking to Timothy and saying, unlike the false teachers, You, however, O Timothy, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Isonium, in Listeria, which which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. You know, um, 
Paul, in another place, tells Timothy, um, he says, follow me as I follow Christ, or imitate me as I, as I imitate Christ. And, but he doesn't neglect to see his impact on Timothy. He actually knows that he is a model in how he lives um, for Timothy. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful that I have um, people who, who pour into me and are models to me. You know, uh, Pastor Andrew, who used to pastor this church, Pastor Andy, you know, the way he would disciple me, he would disciple me by taking me on grocery trips. <laughs> I know that sounds ridiculous, but in the 15 to 20 minutes of him grabbing milk and the list of, of other things he forgets that his wife gives him, um, he asked me intentional spiritual questions about how my ministry is going, how youth group is going, how he can pray for me. Um, Jonathan, Pastor Jonathan... Um, um, Pastor Jonathan invites me to his runs on Saturday mornings, and in that run, and during those runs, when you know when I can catch my breath, <laughs> he's usually talking to me about something spiritual. Um, I can keep going on and on and for, so forth. But my wife, she will do laundry with um, women that she's discipling, you know, because you know she needs. Well, if I'm not helping her, then she'll invite someone else to come, you know, do laundry with her, and so. My encouragement to you is to, you can model the Christian life in your schedule. Just make sure you invite people to whatever you're doing, whether it's the grocery run, laundry, or um, taking kids to the park. We can, we can all fit this into our daily schedules. Number five, encourage. More than correction, more than telling us what we're doing wrong, we all need encouragement. And we grow from encouragement. Um, you know, I will, I will say this, is that there is not one believer in this room that is not suffering from a lack of dis, discur, uh, encouragement. Or did I say that right? <laughs> but what I'm trying to say is there is not a believer in this room that isn't suffering from a lack of encouragement, meaning we, we, are, all, we are all low on encouragement. We all need to be encouraged. And one great way that we can disciple other people is encouraging them and pointing out something that you see in them and what, what, if you hear something good about them. And um, so more than correction is encouraging. So, but number six, number six, correction. <laughs> Correct. More than correction. I know I just said more than correction, encourage. So I, I pray that, you know, you would balance these things out. Um, we do need correction still. We need correction as Christians Job 5.17 says, Blessed is the one whom God corrects, so do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. If you notice like some of the words that's used in that verse, it's rebuking and correcting. That's part of our discipleship. In our following Jesus, we, have, we're, we all at some point get a little bit crooked, and we need to be straightened out. And as believers, we should be open to correction because we know, as Christians, we've admitted to the deceitfulness of our sin, of even our own heart, that, you know, nobody likes being told they're wrong, but when we speak the truth in love, that means pointing out sins that we may need to be pointed out in our lives. And so, 
Correction is an important part of discipleship. And last but not least is to do it with humility. To do it with humility. James chapter 4, verse 6 says this, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. He opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Part of discipling means we lead the way in displaying our weakness. That among gospel believers and where appropriate, we should be humble to admit when we're wrong. And we should confess our weakness of sin. And when we do, to our disciples or to the people we're discipling or people who are discipling, discipling us, we're demonstrating what it looks like not to find our identity in ourselves. We're learning to find our identity in Jesus because Jesus is our identity. He's our perfect record. He is um, the reason we are justified. And so, you know, I don't have a number eight, but a lot of this really boils down to very basic Christianity is how much do we love one another? How much do we honestly love one another? I think that a church that loves one another disciples each other well. And so a healthy church, again, is characterized by one that is seriously concerned with their growth and following the Lord Jesus in their discipleship. And so this mission, our mission is not merely about, you know, building a new building, getting more churches out, uh, you know, getting more people in our doors or whatnot. It is about fostering depth in each one of us and ensuring that every member understands their call to discipleship. And I pray that, um, that, yeah, you would take active steps to nurture and guide other members. And in doing this, you would learn, as the Apostle Paul says, to learn to build one another up in love. You know, Paul says, let all things be done for, uh, for building up. And so maybe, may we be a church that thrives that thrives to have a culture of discipleship, and may every believer here embrace the challenge and joy of helping others follow Jesus. Um, let me pray for us, and I'll transition off. <laughs> Lord God, this is a very basic message, but it's an important one because we know that um, Jesus has not only called us to follow him, but he's also called us to help others follow him. And we want to obey that command. So we ask now by your spirit, you would aid us. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is New Hope NYC. Our website is www.newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have 4 p.m. worship gatherings on Sundays at 164-2 Gothels Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.